So I was uh, listening to a song this morning by um, Death Cab, and it was uh, it's called Under the Sycamore, and there's a line used over and over again, we were all the same, and I, I don't know if you do this, but that led me to start to, I was off, and I was speculating and thinking, at first, my first thought, which is, my first thought about everything, which is, well, that's wrong, because that's how I respond to everything. Well, that's wrong, and then I'll tell you why it's wrong. And I thought more about it and thought, well, that's wrong. But there is something. The more I ponder that, that, that's core, that is, I mean, we're really different, seriously. We're not all the same. We're really different. However, there are some core things about humanity that really do stretch through in every single one of us. And, and one of those is, at the deepest level, the most core level, we want the same things. Aristotle said over 2,300 years ago, if you want to understand humanity, understand this and only this. What everybody wants is to be happy. If you tell me you don't want to be happy, I will tell you you are either a liar or deluded. <laughs> Everybody wants to be happy. And in many ways, our lives are driven to make sure that that happens. Lots of times the wrong way. We're not going to talk about that today. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to, at some level, experience connection with others. Nobody wants to be isolated in the world. One of the great fears of humanity is to be alone, really alone, even in the midst of a crowd. That's sometimes the hardest alone be alone in the midst of a crowd. We long for connection. Another primal thing that every single one of us wants is we want to be free. And often we don't even have a clue what it looks like. But we want to be free. I thought long and hard about what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be free? See, there's this verse. We're going we're to look at a, a, a letter in the Bible in, in a few minutes. But there's a verse in there that has always struck me. It's a tautology, which means a tautology is, it's, it, the answer is obvious within the statement. And it is, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And it's one of those like, well, yeah, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Why is it said that way? It's almost said sarcastically. It's like, did, did you not get it? It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Therefore, don't subject yourselves again to the bonds of slavery. You were made to be free. That's the whole point. So what is freedom? There's something about it that resonates, even the word freedom. But what is it? Again, I thought long and hard about that, and there was, I looked at dictionary definitions and all sorts of things like that. And in the end, through the, you know, my years of studying the Bible and pondering different things and understanding the sort of the flow as well as I can of what God is doing in the world, it struck me that this is really what freedom is. And freedom is the soul that's unalloyed, pure soul directly connecting with the world around them. And it is an unusual and rare thing, pure soul. In other words, who you are actually connecting with God and with others not encumbered by external or internal constraints, simply you, free from things that make you false, not who you were meant to be. That's the freedom we seek and is often very, very hard to find. And so it's so hard to find that I, was, I try to think of good illustrations of people being free. Couldn't really find any. However, I can give you illustrations from sports. Isn't that lovely? I played baseball for years, years and years. Could never get my kids to play baseball because they thought it was unbelievably boring, and you may too. Mason played baseball for one season, which seemed like to him decades. 
because he's a nonstop personality, and he's like, seriously? He talked to the coach the whole time. <laughs> and the ball would come, and he'd be totally unready for it, because it's like, you know, finally, now? But I played baseball for years and loved it, absolutely loved it. Played from when I was a little kid until I was 17, and I blew my arm out, which is a whole other story, but it's something about ego and pride and things like that. Whole other story. But one of the things that I remember vividly in baseball, still remember, is the moment of hitting the ball cleanly. There were times, and if you've played, you understand this feeling. In its most other sports, there's that true. When the stroke is just right, you spend time trying to get the stroke right, and by getting the stroke right, you're trying to eliminate all the things that are getting in the way. And there are moments when you hit the ball where it's pure, and it feels so good. And the long within you is, that's it, that's, that's me hitting the baseball. If I could just get back to that. And we're often trying to correct it and fine-tune it, and, but then there's moments where it's pure. It's the same thing in soccer. When you hit the ball correctly, it's as if you go, well, there it is. You hit it the place you wanted to. You hit it with the speed you wanted to. You hit it with the spin you wanted to. It's pure. And any of you who've played sports know that moment where it's pure. There's no constraints. You are free. You're playing the game as you were supposed to play it, and nothing is getting in the way. In, in medicine, when something is wrong with our body, what, what's wrong is that something has bounded and gotten in the way of how it's supposed to be. Like when you say your arm isn't moving freely, or your shoulder isn't moving freely, all it means is that something is constrained from its natural action. Christianity is a teaching that says you were supposed to be you. You were created a certain way, and much of your life is involved in stripping the bonds that are created from outside and within that keep you from living purely. Stripping it away. And so today, we're going to look at freedom. What it means for you and I to live free, and how things often get in the way of that. Uh, and to do so, we're going to look again at the book of, or the letter of Galatians. And it's our fifth week in the six-week series. And I want to give you the backdrop again, where we are here in this letter, because it was written a long, long time ago. In the first century A.D., the letter to Galatians was written. And essentially, to give you the, the overarching context, was that at the death of Jesus in about 33 A.D., a movement began. A movement began after his resurrection that began to teach this thing they called the gospel, that God came to earth, died, and rose to draw people to himself. And one person who was drawn to that was a guy named Paul, who had been filled with all sorts of strict religious ideas and followed them ruthlessly, and then he turned to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he was so infected and compelled by it that he began to move all throughout Asia Minor, teaching other people about it. And he would go to different cities, and he'd spend a little time there, and he'd put together what we call a church, but the Greek word for church is simply the word gathering. He would gather people together who chose to follow Jesus, and then he'd move on to different cities. And what he would do along the way is whenever uh, an issue rose that he heard about in one of those places, those gatherings, he would write a letter back to them to try to address it. That's what we're looking at today, is a letter written to a church in Galatia by Paul as he addresses the concept of drift, a church that was getting off of the central truth of Christianity in ways that were affecting how they lived their life. And the central truth of Christianity is what we call the gospel, that people enter a relationship with God by faith, 
not by working really hard at it, but by believing that Jesus Christ died to forgive them and by, and by accepting that, they enter a relationship with him that is not based on merit and can never be lost. And then life is lived out of that. Well, in Galatia, a small thing had arisen, apparently very small, which Paul quite honestly goes ballistic about, and we'll watch him go ballistic in just a moment and try to figure out why. Here, here's what happened. I'm going to read in, in Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. I, I have to stop there for a moment because the issue was circumcision. And this is what was happening. Essentially, what the people who had received this new message that you don't have to do anything to have a relationship with God. You don't have to earn it at all. They said, this is great, really. However, there's this one thing, just one thing, small thing, circumcision. You know, it's, it's a tradition. And the Gentiles were thinking, I don't really think we want this tradition. Anyway, they were saying, it's a tradition. It's part of who we are. And so, yes, yes, we believe in Jesus. That's great. But just a little snip, snip there. And, and then, that, you know, it provides a little, a little extra. Set us apart. And uh, that's all they wanted to do. Just a little circumcision between friends. And, <laughs> and here's what Paul says. Paul says, I tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they thought he was overreacting. Seriously? If you let yourself be circumcised, then Christ has no value. You've been alienated from God. You've fallen away from grace. And they're like, calm down. It's not that big a deal. And Paul is saying it is a massive deal. Here's why. The state of Christianity, the way you were supposed to live, is free. What that means is without compulsion, without obligation. You live purely from your heart, not based upon any outside standard, what anybody tells you you ought to do by any set of rules or obligations, but by a heart connected to God. Period. And what Paul said is, look, you're just adding one little thing, you'll add more. That is the history of humanity. We don't believe, in the end, we don't believe we're okay. And so we set up a series of guidelines and rules that keep everything in the pocket, that keep chaos from happening. And part of you, part of you, some of you are probably going, well, yeah. <laughs> Lord knows you've got to have some rules out there or people will just go crazy. Understand how I say this. They might. Without obligation, without compulsion, yes. Some people will take advantage of that, even you and I. I'm pretty sure I'm on the right track, though, because in a few verses later, Paul will say, look, in telling you this, I don't mean you can do anything you want. Rather, let your faith express itself in love. Sure. 
the rules help sometimes. And in Christianity, we've said, yeah, the rules help sometimes, and so let's give lots of them. If some's good, more's better. If circumcision is one little thing, well, let's just add a few others, just a couple others. Let's just, let's define the movies. You know, we're not trying to put any boundaries on you, but just, you know, just to keep everything okay. We don't want anybody to go crazy, so let's define the movies, and so no that kind of movie, no cheap beer, no smoking cigars, or, you know, let's, let's kind of keep it straight. You should go to church really every week, and don't feel guilty, well, no, feel guilty if you don't come, because you should come. Good Christians go to church. No, no, you should want to, but if you don't want, just come. And you should give 10%. Not 9.9. That's right out. 10. And you really, you really ought to go to a small group. I know you don't want to. I know you're not even sure you really like people, but you really should go to a small group. And you should serve, you know, a couple, a couple times. And maybe a little extra. And if you want to be a good Christian... Do a little more than the person next to you. Because we all know they're kind of a slacker. And you really don't want to set up their life as the standard. I believed with all of my heart, with all of my core, with all of my soul, as I walked into the church for the first time after becoming a Christian, it was really as if I was being dragged. My feet, you probably looked behind, there were skid marks. And everything I feared was true. I walked into a church, and immediately I felt this weight of, you are free now. Here's the list. <laughs> There's no middle ground. I'm sorry, there just isn't. You either live by freedom or you live by compulsion. And that's what Paul's making a point. He's going, no, 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 no. You add one thing, you'll add more. Trust me. And you add one thing, and then what you're saying is, it's not about freedom, it's about compulsion. You must do this. And I, I know, I know. You Sometimes you got to do the obligation because if you don't, you're going to screw everything up. I get that. Sometimes you got to have coping mechanisms just to survive. I get that. But that is not what you were called to. Sometimes you have to do it. It is not what you were called to. You were designed for freedom. What that means is there's something about you at the core level that is okay enough that it can actually be let out that it can be trusted to live purely and engage the world around you. There's something about you that's okay to be free. But we're not sure we believe it. And so we live by obligation. How does that happen? Well, lots of ways. We live because somebody tells us externally what we're supposed to do. Church tells us what we're supposed to do, we take that now as gospel. A book tells us what we're supposed to do, we take that now as gospel. Somebody in our life tells us what we're supposed to do, we take that as gospel. Why do we do that? I don't know. Something within us believes we're not okay. And so we have to have some external boundaries. The truth is, we had more of external boundaries on our own. We are the ones who bind ourselves. That's why Paul says, look, it's for freedom that you were set free. Don't get slaved again to the bonds of slavery. Don't do it. Because your tendency is to do it. Let's be direct, shall we? Why do you pick up that cupcake when you're not hungry? Why do you pick up that remote when you don't want to watch anything? I mean, really, who needs to watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey? 
That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> the answer is no one, in case you don't understand how rhetorical questions work. Why do you pick up that next drink when you know it's going to push you too far? Why do you engage in the same pattern of relationships that you know always fails? Why? Because you're not free. You don't need that cupcake. You don't need that extra beer. You don't need that TV show. And so this is what Christianity does. No cupcakes! Cupcakes are bad. You shouldn't eat them. No beer. It's not it. It, it is almost as if we expect God to treat us like we treat a one-year-old. Don't give him the bag of candy. He'll eat the whole thing. By the way, don't give him the bag of candy. He'll eat the whole thing. It's, this is how we think God treats us. It's like, so what does God say? No cupcakes, no beer, no cigarettes, none of those. And then you'll be great. No, you won't. Then you'll be absolutely bound, living with your heart dead and cut off from your soul when what you're supposed to do is live freely. And look at the cupcake and go, I don't actually want that. I wonder why I'm eating it. And go out with your friends and drink a beer because you want to. You live out of your heart not out of some external standard. But this is difficult to do. Let me illustrate that if I could, and I can because I'm here <laughs> through public speaking. Public speaking, you know, most of you know I teach public speaking, and public speaking is not about public speaking. Public speaking is about you. Always about the person on stage. Always. And so... From day one, what I tell my students is essentially this, stop giving speeches. Nobody wants to hear a speech. Nobody wants to hear somebody go, today I'm going to talk to you about freedom. My first point about freedom today is that you look meaningfully at crowd. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear a speech. Why? What's wrong with speeches? There's no connection whatsoever. We sense the artificiality of it we sense that the person's not being themselves. We sense they're just following a format and a formula. And so I say, stop giving speeches and talk to us like people. And then this is what happens. They walk on stage and things that would never happen any other time start happening. Like this, real live example. Today I want to talk to you about, I had a guy who did this through his entire first speech. Just like that. I never, we were sitting down talking to each other. He didn't look at me and go. So this is what I did. As soon as the speech was over, I walked up and said, John, not, his name's not John. That was a good speech. And he's like, doing? He might have actually been saying other words, but what are you doing? I said, this is what you did the entire time. He looked at me like I was crazy. The rest of the room went, I have students, bright, articulate students, who sit, stand in front of us and speak, and then they go like this. <laughs> and they can't think of a word to say. Not a single time when they were being themselves, talking to their friends at lunch, did they ever go. 
I have students who stare into the corner as if there's something fascinating of that. <laughs> Look at that light. Why? They're self-conscious. They're suddenly aware of the fact that people are staring at them and judging them. Like they say, one of their great fears of people speaking is that people are going to judge them. What I tell my students is, you know why they're afraid of that? They're judging you. <laughs> You're judging me right now. And the truth is, I don't care. I really don't. Because really what I want to be, I want to be me. I want to get to the place in my life where me being me is enough. The problem is I'm so seldom me. Because I'm going blank. Because I'm hearing the words of somebody else in my head. I'm covering things over. I'm pretending. Why? Because I'm not sure I'm okay. I'm not free. Here is the bottom line. I am absolutely convinced that you and I were made to be free, to be who we were supposed to be, unalloyed, pure, able to actually make decisions about our lives in a way that is honoring to God and to others, able to actually love, not because somebody told us to, but because we long to. That's who we were supposed to be. Christianity is the only way it will happen. The gospel is about freedom. Every other religious system, system, including <laughs> when Christianity drifts, is about some level of compulsion. You just should do this. What Christianity says in this singular fashion, and this is why Paul's going, you cannot circumcise them. Because what Christianity says is this. God receives you like you are. Jesus came to earth to die for you, to forgive you, and more than forgive you, to look at you, as I said last week, and say, you are my daughter, you are my son, we're all settled here. We're going to be in direct relationship with each other forever. Now let's walk with one another. And what Christianity then gives us the power to do is not to live by constraint and by compulsion. Because we live by constraint or compulsion when we fear that there's something that's not okay within us, that can't be okay within us, that can't actually be seen. And the truth is, you're not okay. I'm not okay. But that's fine. Because God sees us and accepts us and loves us. And he says, I see it all. It's okay. Be you. Accept the fact that you are absolutely bound by your own fears and your inhibitions and what society has told you, what your parents told you, what your brothers told you, and what you tell yourself, and that's all a load of crap. And now let's strip it away. And the stripping away will be oh so painful. But it's worth it because then you can be free. So, when my students stand, or when I stand up in front of my students and I point out all their glaring errors, I do not do that because I'm mean. I do not do that because I enjoy seeing them make mistakes. I do that because I want them to understand the places where they're no longer them. Here's your free public speaking lesson. The only thing you need to do in public speaking is be you and you'll be fine. So I point out the places where they're not them. And pointing out the places they're not them, they can begin to attack their lack of freedom. 
But then, and here's really the key, I look, I look really hard to find the place in their speech where they are them. And it's usually in the early stages, unconscious. They, they didn't expect it. In other words, they're full into speech mode. My first point today is, and then something hits their brain, and on the side they go, well, you know what I mean by that is, and just for a moment, they're them. Not constrained by self-consciousness, not constrained by anything. They're just them. And so that's the thing I point out. And I said, see that place right there? And there was like, they're like, well, I just sort of off the top. Mm-hmm. That was you. So what does that mean for you? You can be transformed. You and I can be free. We become free when we do two things. Number one, we look for the places that we're bound. And we start to ask better questions. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm beating on this poor cupcake. You know, it's just an easy illustration. Stare at the cupcake. Really, stare at <laughs> Real Housewives of New Jersey and ask yourself the question while you're watching that. <laughs> I want an answer to that, by the way. <laughs> stare at the cupcake when you're not hungry. There's nothing wrong with cupcakes. Again, I mean, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but this horse needs to be beaten. There's nothing wrong with cupcakes. But stare at that stupid cupcake in the moment you are not hungry and ask yourself, why am I eating this? What does this say about me? This isn't me. I don't want to be bound by a piece of pastry. It's in those places, the places where it's not natural, it's not normal, that you need, the places where you're self-conscious, the places where you're afraid, that's the place that you take and you go before God and in the beauty of the gospel, you realize, okay, this is who I am. I'm enslaved by pastry. And willing to say that and bring that before God, you now have the power of seeing what actually is going on beneath there, which has nothing to do with cupcakes. And then look at that place where you were you. Just like those moments where I hit the baseball and I thought, that's it. There's those moments in your life where you realize it's just you. The guard is down. Defenses are off. Pretense is gone. It's just you. That's your sweet spot. Key to this is faith. Not some blind faith that Paul says the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And it says, what do you believe? As long as you believe, you're going to need some external props in order to be okay with yourself and with God, you'll continue to be enslaved. When you can finally believe that Jesus loves you just as you are and that you are beautiful, not in some hokey, goofy way, but in the true sense of, of what beauty means. That there is something in you that is, if unleashed, stunning. When you can get to the place and you can see that, the glory of the image of God shining out through you and accept that that's enough, then you'll stop pretending. Then, quite honestly, you won't care what other people think. You'll care in the sense of you want to do things pleasantly toward others, but you're no longer bound. Uh, you know, I am at my best when I care about you, but could care less what you think about what I say. When I'm just saying what I think. In the, in the video, Kirsten's going to say, um, 
uh, a, a thing that I hope you already knew is true. Um, she's going to say, Bruce's messages are good. You know that. But he's not God. You should know that too. I have, a, I have a healthy awareness of the fact that what I say is my own journey before God, which you and I are in dialogue about. I no longer feel the need to be assured that everything I say to you is absolutely perfectly true. I'm, I'll do my best to do so, but freedom for me is when I don't care what you think. I care about you, but my conduct, my behavior is not defined by your impression of me. You do best when your behavior is not defined by anything outside of yourself and by anything outside of how God views you. That's freedom. That's what you were called to. And the end of this passage, this particular section, he's, Paul says this, and I want to close with this. You, my brothers, you, my brothers and sisters, you, children of God, were called to be free. That's your calling. Don't accept anything else. In just a few moments, Kirsten Erke is going to be baptized, and before we baptize her, I want you to watch her story on video. I grew up going to church. Um, I grew up in the Lutheran church, and... It was never really a part of my life. It never really seemed to have much of an impact on me. And I never really understood it. Um, I had, I really had no idea what the point of Christianity was, which is Gospels. You know, we went to church pretty much every Sunday, and then I went to college and pretty much stopped going altogether, um, except for a few kind of services, like Palm Sunday, and that was more out of ritual than any kind of meaning um, I never I never understood it I just saw it as an old book that had nothing to do with my life for a long time I felt that there was something missing in my life that there was a void and a longing for something that I didn't even know I couldn't tell you what it was and there was just this this thought, this feeling that I kept having of I really wanted to attend church. And um, the first time I went to Warehouse, I was really uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable with how many times I heard the word God and Jesus in an hour. And um, although I was uncomfortable, I just kept going. Um, I kept going and then in March, um, is when uh, I started meeting with Holly and um, got some basic questions sort of answered. But after the handful of times that we got together, um, I really felt more confused than ever. I remember feeling like Christianity was a giant list of things that you can do and things you can't do. I wasn't willing to give up the control of trying to figure everything out myself instead of just putting my trust in God and putting my faith in, in Christ um, I kept trying to control everything and um, it was during that time that I really felt um, a desire to read the scripture because if the Bible is the Word of God then I really need to be 
focusing on that, not just sitting in my seat on Sunday morning listening to Bruce. Um, and although Bruce has great talks, Bruce isn't God. And so it's, it became very important to me to really hear what the Word of God is. So, um, and so I started reading the Bible and, um, you know, very quickly realized that despite what my teenage brain thought that this does have a lot of relevance for my life. You know, living as someone who wasn't a Christian for a long time, um, knowing that I was forgiven for some of those things was, was hard to accept. Um, but having that hope to, to know that I'm not defined by my sins and that I can align my will with the will of God and to every day work to be more like Christ. I, I have wanted to be baptized from the first time I saw someone baptized at Warehouse. Baptism represents to me um, just a public display of this is what I believe and this is what I stand for. Um, being able to say that I identify myself in Christ when I'm baptized, my hope is that I have a, a real experience with Christ. Um, in the process of reading the Bible, I got to know a lot about the character of God, um, but not as much of an experience with Christ. And going through baptism, I, my hope would be that in that moment, God meets me in that place and, and kind of shows me what I've been longing for. Kirsten, why don't you come on up?